Some things don't matter. It doesn't bother me to lose them. Spare change, a lottery ticket, a friendly wager. Some sting a little more, like a wasted afternoon spent in traffic or a passionate debate. And then there are those things I don't really want to talk about. Things that have never really healed. Some are obvious, and they serve as a reminder that life can be unflinching, and without remorse in what it takes from me. But others are more covert. They are harder to define, and I'm not always sure at what point they've been lost. And yet, if I'm honest, these are significant casualties, and they deserve to be mourned. Not so that I can be overly dramatic or wallow in self-pity, but because they mattered. They mattered, and they are gone. And while I can direct my attention to the good things that I still have, there is a void that can't be filled with any amount of optimism or escape. How do you bury a lost dream? Or memorialize the loss of a career. We are told that such is life, that time heals all wounds, and yet I can't seem to shake the feeling that I have lost something that I cannot recover. And because of that, I am something less than I once was. So, what have you lost? What is it that mattered that you don't have right now? What is it that brought you to the place that you said that you feel somewhat less than you did before? What made you less? In fact, who measures what makes you more? And how do you recapture and recover that which makes you feel as if you are full? I want to jump right at it this morning because I believe that all of us need to come to this place, and it's simply this: that we must anticipate the awakening of our core. This last week, and I have permission to share this story with you. This last week, my wife Pam had a, a procedure done, and all went well—a medical procedure—and and they had to put her under. And then we had to wait in the recovery room as she came out of the anesthesia, and then. I took her home, and because of the anesthesia, she slept most of the afternoon. She was coming out of the anesthesia and, and, and feeling good, but it, it still there seemed to be some of it inside of her. And in fact, when our son Dustin was talking to her late afternoon, after he talked with her, he called our son Chad in Missouri and said, Dude, you should come home and see Mom. She's really loopy. <laughs> Stuff was, was still in the system. Well, see, I thought that by 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening that Pretty well, all of that stuff had gone out of her system. So I began a conversation with her that I found out two days later that she doesn't even remember. But I'm going to share with you this morning the conversation. And so you can't give a rebuttal because you can't remember this conversation. I said to her, she was in our sunroom and, and she just sat up from the couch and I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Said, are you hungry? Oh, not even. Said, well, I'm hungry. I'll get something to eat. So I opened up the refrigerator and found something that I could warm up because I don't, I don't cook. And, and I found some old pizza in there. So I pulled out this baggie of pizza and I said, how long has this been in there? She said, oh, probably about five days. I said, can I eat this? 
And she said, oh, yeah, sure. I said, are you sure? She said, oh, yeah, it's cold in there. You'll be fine. Well, she's not convincing me. So I figured that I'd do a little comparison here and make sure that she's telling me the truth. So I, I reached in and pulled out a canister of potato salad. I said, how long has this potato salad been in there? She said, oh, about five days. I said, should I eat this? Oh, what are you, nuts? Don't eat that. I said, well, wait a minute. The pizza's five days old. The potato salad's five days old. And you said, I can't eat the potato salad. But, oh, go ahead and eat the pizza. What's the difference? She said, just do what I told you. I said, no, no, what is the difference? She said, why are you hassling me? I said, I just, I need to know. Can I eat this? And, and, and then she must have thought I was being childish because she gave me this answer. She said, because I said so. Well, it didn't convince me. So I said to her, you know what I'm really hungry for? I'm really hungry for a burger, so I'm going to go out and get a burger. She said, you're going to go out and get a burger? I said, said, yeah. She said, I want to go with you. I said, okay, let's go. I'm just going to run out quick and get a burger. It's about 7 o'clock. Let's go get a burger. She said, okay, I'll go with you, but let me change first. Let me get ready. I said, I'm just running out to get the burger real quick. And she said, yeah, but let me let me get ready. I said, well, I'm just running out right now to go get the burger. She said, well, let's go right now, but let me get ready. I said, I know that, but I want to just go right now. Yeah, let's go now, but let me get ready. Now, see, I understand what those code words mean after 33 years of marriage. Get ready means getting ready for the prom, because that's what it means. <laughs> so finally, I said, okay, go get ready. She sits up to get ready to go, to go get ready, and she says, but I don't want a burger. <laughs> I'm being hijacked. I said, what? She said, I don't want a burger. I said, that was the purpose for going out in the first place. The mission of the journey was the burger. I know that, and I'm going to go with you, but I don't want a burger. Yeah, but I want a burger. I don't want a burger. I thought you said you're not hungry. I'm not. So I said to her, I am so frustrated. And she said, then go by yourself. I said, no, wait a minute. I'm just frustrated because you said that you're not hungry and now you, you want to go out with me, but you want to get ready first and it's going to take time for you to get ready. And then, and then I want a burger and I'm going to go out and I'm going to eat the burger because you're not hungry. You're not going to eat, but you don't want to go out if I get the burger because you're not going to eat the burger anyhow, but you don't want a burger. She said, you go by yourself. So you know what I did? I grabbed a bowl of granola and went in the other room and pouted for my lost burger. So I'm sitting in there, crunching on granola in burger grief. And I feel this sense inside of more than frustration. I feel, I feel like something has just been ripped out of me, and it's not the loss of the burger. I realize what I've just gone through is that I have lost something very valuable to me. I just threw a wall up between me and my wife, my best friend. And suddenly I feel this isolation. I feel alone. I think, what am I doing? So she walked into the room about that time, and I said, I am so sorry. I said, I don't even know why I did that, and will you please forgive me? And so we reconnected, and it made such an impression on her that she didn't even remember it. But still... There's this, this is important lesson I want us to learn, and, and, and I don't need to minimalize the loss that you've had by a quaint story. 
But there is this truth I'm discovering that lesser losses can hijack a value that is so core inside of us. And for us to deal with that this morning, we need to understand. In fact, you know, you've, you've had a loss, and, and, and it's been deeply felt inside of you. It could have been a death. It could be a marriage that's dissolved. It could be a breakup. It could be a, a, a loss of job or the income is not meeting the expenses, and you just feel like you're losing everything, and they just took your car. And, and when that happens, you feel like something of worth has been yanked out of you and it's made you a lesser person. That you can't even, you can't even connect to the people that you connected to before because you don't feel like you bring enough to the table. You don't feel like you have worth. You feel so, so you feel ashamed. Your identity was wrapped up in some of that stuff and now it's gone. And as a result, you feel disconnected from some of the people that you were connected to before and you feel like you've been drawn away from them and then you get the sense that you're all alone and nobody cares. How do you reconnect with that which is of such great value? It was King Solomon who, who said this profoundly simple thing. Proverbs 19.21 we humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purpose prevails. We as humans, in our faulty reasoning, establish plans that will get us that which we think is of value to fill us up. And because they are created out of our own humanness, they're faulty. And eventually we lose them and we feel so second rate. We feel alone. We feel disconnected. But God's purpose that word actually means that which, which he has planned, that which is, had been determined for you to the full extent of your life. That determination of God will prevail. The word means will rise up and remain. That although we plan for things to have our value and they've dissipated, he has created something for your value where you find your value and it always remains. It does not diminish. No matter what you feel today, what you think you've lost, what he has planned for you where you find the fullness of life still has risen up and it has remained. And we've got to connect to that. To do that, we simply need to return to the romance. We've been reading that narrative of Ezra, that which was penned by this chronicler, this, 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 this priest. And he's told us that for 70 years, these expatriates have been away from their, their homeland, from Judah, from Jerusalem. They've been taken away and held captive. And there they have remained. And you want loss? They have watched their families massacred in warfare. They have watched their children die of starvation. They have been moved from their city. Their city has been flattened. The walls have been flattened. The temple has been ransacked and burned. They no longer have their worship. They no longer have their families. They no longer have their culture. It's all been taken. But they have this promise. They have this incredible promise that God said, after 70 years, I will restore to you that which you've lost. And they've been waiting for that. And the time has now come. The 70 years have gone by. And God has promised now they will return. And it's interesting how he starts their return and the recapturing of what they've lost. He starts with their core value. 
In fact, it was the loss and the neglect of that core value that began this whole cycle of losing everything they had. And so the story continues this way, Ezra, the first chapter, the fifth verse. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, and circle that phrase, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Those waiting for God's purpose, those heads of the house, the Levites and the priests, they've been waiting for God's purpose, and suddenly there is this stirring that takes place in their heart, the actual Hebrew word is ruach. It is the same word used upon the spirit of God when it hovered over the face of the deep, when the earth was formless and void, and through that spirit there was creation. It was the ruach, the breath of God, that was over that which was formless and void and barren. It is that breath in you, in these folks, that ruach, that suddenly was stirred, and the word there actually means awakened that there had been something there for so long that God wanted them to understand, and now was the moment, and he awakened them and said, here it is. Your spirit will understand this, and here's where we start. We start with intimacy with me. We start with the love relationship with me. You go back and you build that temple because I'm still interested in this thing above all else, my relationship with you. Everything else builds on that. It was the same sense that when he brought them out of the the land of Egypt, these who had cried out and that he had loved and continued to love, he promised them these, these things. He said, I will take you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. That redeem means I will give you back your value. And I will bring you to me for that value is found in me. Those four promises are the same promises that a Jewish groom says to his bride. Because this is all about romance. This is all about a loving relationship. This is all about this marriage of God with the people he loves. So wrapped up in this intimacy is God that he says to them, I want you to go build a place where you live, where we can hang out together. And centuries later, God would put on flesh and come back and tell us, and by the way, I'm going to my place to build a place where we'll hang out together forever. This has to do with romance. The recovery of our dreams, the recovery of what you have lost, is always tied to the worship of God. When God gives us a new or a recovered dream, It is always because his romance is all over it. And that romance gives us brand new opportunities. When when King David was just a shepherd boy, the Philistines had invaded Israel and were trying to remove what was not rightfully theirs. And there was this, this, this great opportunity for loss. And they stick this, this giant of a man named Goliath in the valley and says, you take him on, you beat him, you, you've got your way, otherwise we're taking over. And none of those mighty warriors would dare do a thing. 
But you've got this shepherd boy who has spent all his time in the fields writing songs of worship and love to God. He has this intimacy with God. He has this romance with God so that when he sees what is happening, he comes running down the valley with just a sling and some stones. And he says, you come to me with weapons, but I come to you in the name of the one I worship, the Lord Almighty. And he kills the giant, cuts off his head and wins the victory because all over that valley he saw the romance of God. And it just was natural for him to say, it's ours. When Peter and John are walking by the gate, beautiful by the temple, there's a man who is crippled. And the man says, do you have any money? He's a beggar. And it flashes into their, their hearts, oh, the romance of God is all over this guy. And it just seems natural. We don't have money, but such as we have, we give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. They take his hand, lift him up, and the scripture says literally that the joints in his ankles snap together. It just was a natural thing. So when these heads of the house and the priests and the Levites hear this king say, God has told me that it's time for you to go back and build that temple, They see God's romance all over this thing. And they say, this is just natural. This is right. It is God saying to them, I'm in this. What are you waiting for? Now, listen to me. In your loss and that which you grieve, you draw close to God and you will find that there will be this moment that you will be so rom- romantically involved with him that suddenly there will become, there'll come this opportunity and you will see it and say it just makes sense and God says it's part of your recovery. Your priority is not to get what you think you've lost. Your priority is to get close to God because he takes care of the stuff you think you lost. So God simply wants us to take our next step and wait. The scripture says that they began to prepare themselves. We read that. That word prepared actually means they got up and ascended to the place that God told them to go. It's the next step. See, there's going to be a moment when God says, I'm going to take care of you. And he's going to say, go do this thing. You just step right here. And you're going to get to that spot and say, well, I'm at that spot and it doesn't make sense to me. I'm at the spot and it's boring. I'm in this spot, and I find no value. Oh, don't move. Reminds me of the, the kid who comes to his mom and says, Mom, how high can you count? What's, what's the highest you've ever counted to? Well, she doesn't remember what the highest he's ever counted to. She said, well, and just intrigued, she says to her, her little son, well, what have you counted to? He said, 5,397. She said, why'd you stop? He said, because church was over. See, some of you are in the spot that God wants you, and all you're doing is counting. I can't wait for this to get over. And what God's saying to you is that this is not about past possessions and passions. This is about present opportunities. That if you will stand still in the place that he's put you that seems boring and out of sorts, he is going to open up a door of opportunity because his romance is all over it. It's what Bob Appleby discovered right after 9-11. 
but we had some great chaplains in there. Bob Appleby, boy, he could just talk to him. You know, an ex-Marine who's been there and done that? He, um, he showed up from Connecticut. I never saw him before in my life. He said, Carl, I saw you on TV, man. I'm here to help. And uh, he got his last orders from me. Go to the zone. Stand there. And God will tell you what to do. So he did. Uh, we just stood there and we saw men coming out just devastated. They passed him by, these six foot, they're so construction workers. And he kind of hit him on the back and just two second prayer over and over. Pat him on the way in, pat him on the way out. Could, couldn't make a way for himself, couldn't get in. Didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. Workers would stream in and out. Hundreds of them. They would just stop me and they said, Would you please pray for me? And it was the 11th hour of standing there and not moving, just being there for the guys. It started to rain and it rained so hard. No rain gear. I'd spent eight years in the Marine Corps. One of my general orders was to quit my post only when properly relieved. And so I took that command and went and stood in the same place that I was at in the rain. I just stood there. And in the second hour of rain, the Secret Service guy came over to him. And he said, who are you? He said, I'm Bob Appleby. He said, I'm a pastor. He said, I'm here to serve you. He took off his hard hat and he handed it to me. He said, would you please sign my hard hat? I said, you've got it wrong. I said, you should be signing mine. He said, no. He said, I want my kids to know who the man was that stood watch over us. The whole time that we stood watch over the sun. And that will be signed his helmet. And he said, Did you want to come inside? He goes, I think I can do more good inside. And he goes, Okay. So he he went into the zone 14 and a half hours after standing in one spot and not moving. idea you think you've lost and so you seek out God and you say okay I'm just going to get close to you because because that's the core value to begin with and while you're hanging out with God you have this immediate understanding that you should just take this step and you take this step but yet it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem like it's it's replaced anything that you've lost you feel even that, that it's, just, it's just not challenging enough. But God says, just stay there. And somewhere in that moment, in that time that you trust him and wait on him, you see the opportunity. And you would have never seen it unless you had stood still at the place he told you to stand. Some of you are just caught in a place right now that you don't have an answer and you're just waiting. Good. Because God is faithful, he will open up the opportunity at the right time. Do you want to go to the deeper value? Then you can only quit your post when you are properly relieved. That you've got to stay where he's put you until it is time to move on. 
You see, we think that if God's going to get us back what we want and suddenly we've had this connection with God, we're going to run over to the, to the, the place where it's all stored up. We're going to run to the pawn shop and get it all back again. And God said, no, 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 no. That's not what you're going to do. You wait. I'm going to take you in this process because you see, this is not about getting back what you've lost. It's about helping lost people get back. That's why you're here. Your heart inside of you leapt last week when I, when I grabbed Dawn and brought her up on stage and we, we talked about the fact that her husband has deployed to Iraq and there's things around her house that need to be done and we need to help her. And I asked you for some help on very specific things and, and some of you just couldn't stay in your seat. You said, oh, I, I, I got to do that. I got to do that. So I, I got a call this week and, and the report is this, that somebody went and cleaned her whole backyard. Somebody cut down a tree for her and let it away. Somebody fixed that doorknob and somebody took all the leaves out of her yard already. And you, and you go, yeah. And some of you said to her, oh, man, we should have been doing that. Because built inside of you is this core value that if you love Jesus, you love the people Jesus loves. And that is the thing that you must do. And then the most amazing thing happens. Because when we understand that our value is not what we have in comparison to others, but it is who we are for others. This amazing thing happens when we get tenacious about that. And we forget about what we've lost and we help people who have lost. The story goes on in Ezra, the first chapter, the sixth verse. And here's what it says. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and the valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. You see, when you get with God and you're doing what he wants you to do, even when you feel you have lost, he says to you, if you're going to hang out with me, you need this stuff here. And the amazing thing about what you get, first of all, is that he will give you things you've never had before. And you would have never gotten if you hadn't placed yourself in this position, postured yourself to do what he wants you to do. Now he says, you get this stuff. In addition to that, the stuff you thought you had lost, he's been storing up, just waiting. Because you see, you had it before, but you were in the wrong place, using it for the wrong thing. He took it away from you and you counted it as lost. He's held it for you so that you would reposition yourself. And now you're where you're supposed to be. The opportunity has opened up. You've walked through it. He says, now here, this stuff was for now. It was for this situation. It was for these people. Oh, this is a lot more than just what you've lost and who you are and what you think you've done in life. This is about his great scheme. This is about his love, not only for you, but for others who you will impact. And because you impact them, it gives you core value. And the amazing thing about that is because he is so generous that not only will he give you restoration, but he'll give you reward. You say, how do you know that? Well, I look at Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but let go of it all, became a servant, took on flesh, and died on a cross. He lost everything. And as a result of that, we know that God came back to him and said, here's your inheritance. All the people you had thought you had lost when you created them, because of their sin and because of the evil in the world, you have now won back, and his inheritance is you. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm restored. But not only that, 
He is rewarded for every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm telling you, when you move in close to God in your loss, when you say it's about romance, about worship, it's about being with you, about focusing on you, and I've got to tell you, you just don't do that by showing up here on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. It means that you start to, to listen to more worship music and you begin to sing it in your heart and you talk to other people about God and you, and you discourse about God and you study his, his words out of the Holy Scriptures and, and you really do study them, not just watching... Christian television, but actually getting in a conversation and an application and where you've got to be part of that and it changes your life, not just information, but transformation. When that happens to you, you begin to see the opportunities that are around you. You walk into those opportunities and God say, here, you need this stuff and you need this stuff that I've held for you that you thought you lost. You get it back and you find yourself exactly where God wants you and your value is full. Now, if you're going to do that, then the process calls for this. You need to form your entourage. Now, I'm going to give you some names, and and I'll give you one name at a time, and I want you to give me the name that's closely connected to that name. You ready? The Lone Ranger and Tonto. Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon. Batman and Abbott and Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen. You Chicago Bulls fans know that. Scotty Pippen. Ice cream lovers, Baskin and <laughs> Beavis and no, let's not go there. All right, now listen. If you're going to recover what you've lost and go through this process I've just explained, you cannot do it alone. Restoration comes through community. So what you've got to do is find somebody else and other people who believe in the same core values that you believe in and you connect together. That's what these guys did. Let's continue the story. Ezra 2, verse 1, or verse 2. Now, these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, and in the company was Zerubbabel. And actually, in the original language, Zerubbabel is the head of the group, and all these guys came with him. Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Bena. Here are typical names you name your children. Now, here comes the entourage, and understand that in those days when you named a child, you named their future and what you thought their personality was to be. So the name represented the character. So I want to take a few of these names, not all of them, and show you who these people had in their entourage so that they could bring back what they had lost. Because I think you and I need those same people in our entourage. There was Zerubbabel. His name actually means, Zerubbabel actually means seed of Babylon. This guy was born in captivity, but his roots were in his heritage. For his great grandpa, or his grandpa, was the last legitimate king of Judah. And in him was this deep desire to get back what they had lost. 
He will. He was, if you will, the tip of the spear. He was the point man. He was the guy who said, we're getting this stuff back. If you are going to make it back to where you need to go and to where God's taking you and to recover what you need, you need an unstoppable visionary. You need somebody who says, this is what we're called to do, and I'm not stopping. You need a Winston Churchill. What's he famous for saying? Never, 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 never give up. Never. He brought he brought those British Isles through that war. You need, and who is it in your life that is your Zerubbabel, who says, hey, I know where you're headed, and we're going to get there. Let's go. And, and you've got you've got to like rein them back in because they're out on the point going, no, we're going to get there. They've got this prophetic edge on them saying, oh, this is God's deal. Come on. What are you waiting for? Let's go. You know, people like that. They bug you. You need them. You need to rope one of them in and say, hey, you come with me. Let's go. There was Yeshua. His name means Yahweh is salvation. This is a man of faith, a man who's connected with Jehovah. You see, his father and his grandfather were high priests. And he understood, he understood the intimacy with God and the power that comes with that. Every dreamer needs an enraptured worshiper. You need somebody who is just in love with Jesus and keeps reminding you that this is all about him. A couple years ago, I went down to help Dustin move out of his apartment after school was over, and he had like, together there were five roommates in this this condo apartment thing, and and so we went up there and we started moving stuff, and I met one of his his friends, his name is Cup, and and, and Cup's dad um, is from Washington State and and kind of an old hippie kind of guy, and and he just loves worship. And so we're moving boxes back and forth, and they've already taken care of cup stuff. And so his dad grabs a guitar, sits down in the middle of the living room, and starts worshiping God, playing songs, playing worship songs. He's just worshiping. It's like nobody else is there. He is just worshiping up a storm. He's just singing away. And the place is just filling with the presence of God. I just wish that the guy could have worshiped while lifting things, but he had the guitar. And so he's just, he's just singing away. You need to have somebody in your entourage that when you are moving to where God wants you to recapture what you think you have lost, just keep singing those worship songs and keep saying, oh, but Jesus is in the middle of this, man. I just see Jesus all over. I see the romance of Jesus all over this. I mean, who is that for you? And, and they'll bug you because you'll say, yes, yes, I understand it's Jesus. Pick up a box. But it's okay because you need that person to keep moving you back to that place. It's Paul and Silas in, in Philippi, in jail, lost it all, in shackles, going to be thrown in prison later on as they go before the judge. And here they are, and they're singing worship songs. And God says, oh, this is so great. And he shakes the jail and the, and the chains fall off. You need that kind of person to help sing you to your freedom. Who's that person in your life? You say, oh, can you, can you give me one? 
Now, this is, this is organic. You've you got to find the people. You've got to look around. I mean, you listen and then hang out with people. And as you do, you say, Jesus, show me a worshiper. Show me a worshiper. And, and then you just kind of say, hey, can I hang out with you while you worship? And, and, and I'm trying to work through this situation. I'm, I'm in a horrible divorce, and I just need somebody to, to worship with me. Can I just stand by you in worship services, and can, can we get together and talk about Jesus? That's, you need that person. Because, you see, the natural tendency is that when you lose, you want to be alone. What God says is when you lose, you've got to be with community. That's what gets you back. There was Nehemiah. This is not the same guy who built the wall, but same name. His name means comfort of Yahweh. See, when you get overwhelmed and discouraged, you need someone to say to you, it ain't over till it's over. You need someone who says, baby, this thing's going to work. Nehemiah is the kind of guy that not only sees that the cup is half full, he sees the cup 12 feet tall. There is so much that God has for you. You're going to make it. You need a confident encourager. It's, it's not fluff. They just know what God's going to do. They're going to keep saying, hey, you keep going. God's going to get you. There. I know God's going to get you there, and I'm going to walk with you. It's, it's the New Testament word parakletos. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit. You walk up next to a person and say, I'm going to help carry you through it. You need one of those people to help walk you through this. I was involved several years ago in a, in a lengthy fast, and... And you that have done fasting know that there are some times, if it's, especially if it's longer than a day, you know that it can, be kind, it can become very, very uh, strenuous on your, on your spirit. It can be uh, warfare is involved, and you can become discouraged in it, especially when, when you love to eat burgers. And, and you, you, you're not doing that. You're denying yourself, and, you just, and you just, you're just having to learn a new joy base, not the base of eating and not the base of entertainment and not the base. Because when you fast long, you, you, don't, you don't connect with anybody really except God and, and those people that are close praying with you. And, and so I was coming up to the, to the last stretch of a fast. And I have a friend, and he just said, hey, what? I hadn't seen him for, for weeks. And he said, what are you doing? And we talked, and I said, I'm, I'm in this fast. And and he was so cool. He said, well, how much longer are you fasting? And I told him how many days. And he said, I'll do that with you. I'll start today. I thought, really? Oh, yeah, you can't do that by yourself. You need some help. So I will, and we'll check with each other and make sure we're doing okay. And, and you, won't, you can't believe the encouragement that was knowing that I had somebody else walking through that with me. See, you can't, you can't recover this loss by yourself. You need an encourager who says, oh, it's not over. Well, we're going to get there. You need a Nehemiah. You need a big vey. His name means happy. See, this guy sees the goodness of God and is always grateful, and he's in awe of God. He's the one that keeps you from discouragement. He's, this is the guy who's the celebrator. He's the party guy. He's an Abraham, because every time Abraham had a major victory, he built a monument to God. He built an altar to God and said, oh, look what God has done. I am so in awe. And when he got discouraged, he came back and he celebrated right there in that place. You can read all the altars that he established. You need somebody in your life. When you start to get discouraged, says, wait, 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 wait. Look what God did. Let's go back. here. Look what God did here. Happy, 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 happy. That's it. Let's party. 
Or when something good happens and you're so you say, well, but, you know, that thing happened, but it's not the full thing. God gave me part this back, but didn't give me the full thing. You need this person to go, wait, wait, wait. Oh, God, look what you've done. Come on, join me. Oh, God. And you celebrate together. You need that celebrating person. You got to find that person. Say, God, show me. And say, hey, walk with me in this thing. And they're going to remind you of what God is doing. And they're going to be in awe of God. And they're going to keep celebrating. And they're going to keep reminding you, God is good. He is so good. See, you think you lost it all? You think that, that you're insignificant? After he lists these, these main guys, this entourage, he lists the families in chapter 2. He lists the families that are heading back. And one of the first families he lists is the Perosh family. Do you know what Perosh means? Because we've talked about great names. We talked about, we talked about God as a comfort and, and, and Yahweh is my salvation. you know what the name Perosh means? Flee. The little insect flea gets on your cat, that flea. How would you like to have that name? Hey, here's the flea family. You want to talk about insignificance? But see, they have a choice. They can either say we're totally insignificant or do, do nothing, or they can remember that not only are they small, but they're also tormenting bloodsuckers. And that name began to be known, that name actually began to be known as those who were a plague to their enemies. Oh, we may be small, but baby, don't mess with us because we will torment you. So you've got a choice. What is your core value saying you are? You say, oh, I've lost so much. I'm insignificant. Oh, but God has given you a name. God has placed his name on you. He has given you a destiny. And when God gives you a destiny, it is not some small insignificant thing. But let me tell you, wherever you are and wherever you think you, whatever you think you've lost, he has set you up to be a torment to your enemies and a victory in God's view. That's what he's got planned for you. Boy, I almost sound like a Pentecostal preacher, don't I? It's amazing. <laughs> Gee. Oh, stop. So here's the deal. The Prosh family, these, these flea families, do you know the small and significant group did? First of all, they were the largest family of priests to go back. They all got together and said, oh, we're all going back. We're going to make a difference. They, and listen, when they go back, they don't have good stuff to go back to. They've got walls torn down. They've got to rebuild a temple that's just been annihilated. They're surrounded by enemies. Somehow they've got to get there safe. And, and what are they going to use? So, so they've got to trust in God. And they said, oh, but he's given us this name, and we will go be a torment to our enemies. We're going, we're going, and we're going to, we're going to do God's work. Not only did they help rebuild the temple, but they hung around and rebuilt the wall too. Amazing family. Because they realized they hadn't lost a thing. God had been holding it, waiting for those who don't pout over burgers, but instead allow themselves, because of his presence, to be catapulted into an opportunity. Who open themselves up to his extreme generosity and who celebrate over a God who leads them in awe. So this morning, we're going to end with a celebration. We're all going to be big vey today. Will you stand? Worship team, get up here. And I'm going to encourage you to do this.
you think you've lost, you go back to Jesus today and say, I'm going to walk with you. And, and I'm going to tell you, you keep watching. You keep watching, and you're going to see the opportunity open up, and he's going to pour in the resources. And so right now, we're going to celebrate in advance of what he has done and will do for you. And if you today say that I don't have a relationship with God, I'm not sure how that works. This morning, he's drawing you to himself. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said, I will take you to the Father by putting your faith in me. I will forgive you for your sins. That which separated you from God, all that you have lost, you will gain that's important in life. He will bring back to you because he himself is what you need. And all you got to do is say, Jesus, come in in my life. And after this gathering, I invite you to stop by our information desk in the back. We have a gift for you. And that gift will tell you more about this relationship with God and how to walk in this journey. See, we're a journey church. We're all in the process of understanding Jesus better. Some of us have known him for two hours and some of us have known him for for 90 years. But we're all in a journey. And we welcome you to this journey. And now we're going to celebrate what he has done and will do in our lives. And you take your loss and give it to him and start looking not for recapturing your possessions and your passions, but what he's calling you to do. When you do what he's asked you to do, he will pour into your life what you need and you have not lost a thing. Jenny, let's celebrate. Lord, you are.
His incredible love that you cannot measure. And as you seek Him out, may your eyes be open to the opportunity, uniquely crafted for you, empowered you are for that moment. And may you have the courage to walk in and discover how your very presence and the presence of the Almighty in you have released others who have thought they were in bondage. And may you discover that he has poured into you that which you've never known before and that which you thought you had lost. And may your week be a week of incredible celebration as you walk this path, not alone, with Jesus Christ and this community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. It makes me-